This is On and Off Your Mat podcast, episode 108, Yoga Biomechanics and Asana. Have you been practicing what you've been taught, but you don't always understand why you're being told to do or to avoid certain things in your asanas? Or you've been teaching for a while, but you're feeling a little stuck in your cues? Well, biomechanics might be the answer to your questions. For today's episode, I sat down with Jules Mitchell. Jules is a Las Vegas-based yoga teacher, educator, and massage therapist. She blends the tradition of yoga with her extensive study in biomechanics to help teachers develop their craft and empower them with education. She regularly contributes to yoga teacher training programs and leads workshops worldwide, balancing the somatic aspect of yoga with the most current exercise science. Her book, Yoga Biomechanics, Stretching Redefined, is now available through Handspring Publishing. Before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you a few things. Number one, take a screenshot when you listen on whatever platform you do and share one takeaway from the episode on Instagram, tagging at on and off your mat podcast. I will, of course, reshare you. The idea is that everybody can read each other's takeaways and we can go deeper into the content of each episode together, growing and learning as a community. Number two, this is your last call for the yoga retreat in November in Mexico. So sign up before it's too late. Uh, you'll find a link in bio. We're leaving November 18th. In parallel, I had launched a GoFundMe campaign. The scholarship applications have now been closed, but I'm still raising money to help people come on this retreat who couldn't afford it otherwise. So if you would like to help me make yoga retreat more accessible to all, we haven't quite raised enough money. So please come onto the show notes, find the GoFundMe link, GoFundMe campaign link, and donate today. Lastly, we have a premium membership here on the podcast. If you're unaware, you can get access to all your premium content on withribbon.com slash you slash Erica Belanger. And you'll find a link for that in the show notes as well. All right, let's get to today's episode with Jules. Hi, Jules. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. For listeners that don't know you very well, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your yoga journey? Yes, I can. Um, it's quite a long yoga journey, so I'll, I'll kind of start with the short version. The cliff notes? So, yeah, well, probably just being the most recent. All right. Uh, you know, for the last five, six years, um, my work has been mostly um, teaching biomechanics to yoga teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, it was part of a a kind of passion project. I don't know that I actually set out to do it, but I had a lot of questions about how yoga was taught. And as I was a teacher and I found I just wasn't getting like solid answers. So I just went into an academic path and uh, ended up in a graduate program in biomechanics and ended up uh, being able, and it didn't necessarily find the yoga answers, but I, I found I was able to think about things in an entirely different and more informed way. And so I got better at questioning and just got more confident at decision-making. And so I started, you know, turning that into content for yoga teachers. Uh, it turns out that, you know, lots of yoga teachers had the same questions mm -hmm. I did. And so that ended up in uh, me writing a book called Yoga Biomechanics, Stretching Redefined and um, Leading Continuing Ed and, and um, Advanced Teacher Trainings um, all over the world. Amazing. Now online, obviously. But yeah. <laughs> 
So mm-hmm. we're all on the same page because in yoga teacher training, mostly or only it's anatomy that is being thought. Can you explain the difference between anatomy and biomechanics for people that might not be sure of that difference? Yeah, I mean, biomechanics is a very um, specific term that includes anatomy. Like biomechanics is, a, is you know, part of a, a greater field of study mm-hmm. like kinesiology. Um, but you need anatomy to study exercise science. You need anatomy to study exercise physiology. You, need, sure. you know, you need that. So anatomy is like a division of it, I would say. Um, and anatomy is the dissecting and um, naming of parts, really. You know, you can do you can do it at the gross level, which is that you, you can see with your eyes, you know, your hand is different than your foot, you know, mm-hmm. um, or you can you can even go into anatomy at a more of a, a deeper microscopic level. Um, that, you know, you can't see with your eyes, but we would, most of the anatomy that we learn in, in teacher trainings is gross anatomy, right? Yeah. It's muscles, of muscles and, and bones and yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, and then biomechanics, um, if you look at the word bio, obviously there's the life aspect. So living, living organisms is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And mechanics refers to the world of physics, basically. Um, so we're looking at force. We're looking at properties of motion, uh, which would be kinematics. Uh, we're looking at kinetics, the forces involved in those motions, uh, and how living organisms, you know, in our case, humans, um, how they respond and are affected by force. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit different than anatomy. So in this case, that's our body. How is our body responding to the force? Yeah, yes. I mean, there's different, you know, the, the, yes, our body, but, you know, also... Once you start going a little bit deeper, like you start thinking, well, what is force? And that also includes pressure. And then you see that we're pressurized systems. And now we're talking about Mm -hmm. fluid dynamics because we have intravenous pressure and (laughs) gas exchange of breathing is pressure related. So all of this can kind of fit under the biomechanics, even though biomechanics is classically like about sports performance and so on. Yeah. But uh, when you start kind of digging into these topics, you see there's a lot of over lap. Um, and the field that I found most interesting for yoga teachers, because we don't like measure sports performance, you know, we don't measure speed or mm-hmm. agility or whatever, um, or power, but we do, um, we do talk a lot about, you know, safety and injury and, and, and end range type things. And so part of biomechanics is something called tissue mechanics, which is like how the tissues respond and behave, um, to force. So when you stretch a tendon, what happens? Mm. And that for me was what was really eye-opening um, and what the book is about and what I teach, because I think we're just taught things like tendons connect muscle to bone. Well, that's anatomy and that's not wrong. Yeah. But what does the tendon do when the muscle contracts? That's biomechanics, <laughs> right? Does it get longer? Does it get shorter? Does it stay long? That kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. So in the context of yoga and of tissue mechanic, when we talk about force, do we talk about anything that creates a change in those tissue? Um, it can or cannot create a change. Oh. So, and you know, I mean, it, it, it depends on how you're defining change, I guess. You okay. know, any, any applied load, which is what we call, you know, forces on the, are acting on the body, any applied load will, will, cause something. 
Um, whether it's temporary, like something elastic, you know, like your mm-hmm. Achilles tendon, if you jump, it's going to, it's going to, it's like a spring, it's going to get longer and shorter. It's yeah. not going to stay longer. If, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so there are some temporary changes that are going to, and some are going to be big, like the Achilles tendon, which acts like a spring versus like positional tendons that don't move that much. So there, it's not just like one answer, you know, and then you could have long-term changes, long-term adaptations and, um, and that would require obviously longer inputs. Mm-hmm. So whether we're contracting your muscle or in yoga, when we're stretching a muscle, that is a force as well. Um, yeah. Then there's yeah. our body mass because we're not using, you know, other extra added weights, but the weight of our body. And would you say even gravity is considered a force in that case? Uh, well, well, gravity has an acceleration. So that's how it's measured. So you need something like your body weight um, along with gravity in order to get a force. Mm. Um, so it's like part of it. Like, um, you, I mean, you can say gravity is a force, but it's, it's like you and gravity are a force. Yeah, I get <laughs> it. The, I get you it. make up the force, you know, the just gravity with not, with no object or no body does. There's no, yeah, force if there's there. no mass, it doesn't yeah. do anything. Exactly. <laughs> yep. exactly. Yep. Okay. I get it. So now Why do you think, obviously, you think biomechanics is important when it comes to yoga as a practitioner, but even more as a yoga teacher? Why should we interest ourselves in or at the minimum the tissue mechanics and understanding how the body responds to these forces? Um, I'm going to be a little bit diplomatic and <laughs> say that I don't know that everybody should or needs to. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think like there's, you know, yoga is a lot of things and means a lot of things to a lot of people. Yeah. And you can, you can lead people through an amazing practice where they breathe and move and relieve stress. And you don't need to know anything about biomechanics. (laughs) Um, But if you're going to be teaching in a way where you're focusing on asana and talking about the safety of your knee and whether a hip hinge is better than spinal flexion or, or if you're, you know, saying things like in order to protect your, this, mm-hmm. um, or you're saying this is the right way and, and giving reasons why, um, or you're, 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 you, if you're saying heel to arch alignment, like things like that, like concrete, you know, applied cues. anatomical position, yeah, cues, then, um, then you probably want to learn more about this because it'll make you it'll either make you question what you're saying or it'll make mm. you understand what you're saying or it'll support what you're saying. But either way, you can talk about those things at, an, at a deeper level once you start looking at biomechanics. Yeah. So you understand or you can choose your cues better. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. you get much clearer on the fact that there's no one right way or wrong way to do these poses or mm-hmm. this practice. Um And you talked about safety. So we're preventing injuries or to some level, you know, keeping people safer, the more knowledge we have if our practice is based um, in the asana part of yoga. Maybe. Mm. I mean, maybe that might be one, you know, you might find you're keeping your students safer. I found that I realized that that yoga probably wasn't as injurious as we tend to make it out to Mm. be, (laughs) you know, um, that was one of the conclusions that I came to. So I, you know, I started looking at things like, well, geez, running, running is pretty high impact and running up curves and up curves. And there's a lot of risk for injury there. 
um, hopscotch, you're landing on one leg, like yoga, you're like just standing on a mat with both feet flat on the ground. It's like relative to the activities that you could do. You're not picking up something heavy. Yeah. <laughs> you're not, you know, you're not on uneven terrain. You're not jumping. Like usually, you know, except for some poses, both feet are on the ground. You're encouraged to, if you have one, it's one foot, you're encouraged to balance near a wall. Like, like there's not that much in it that is risky, not to say that people haven't been injured, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think I, it, it kind of helped me clarify the safety conversation and the injury conversation, knowing a little bit about how tissue behaves yeah. um, that I didn't know before. And so I was like, I was kind of like driven prior, driven by the fear of, of keeping people safe, like, you know, making sure they didn't get injured. And I really loosened up on that and yeah. was able to let people kind of have their own autonomy and their own experience Sure. I, I totally can relate. I remember in my first 200 hour, there was this rule of sequencing that we couldn't put three poses on the same leg back to back. Yeah. And I was like, why? And they're like, well, it's, <sighs> it's more risky, you know, for whatever, whatever. But I was like, but people go at the gym and do 12 reps, three sets. Like, how is mm -hmm. that different? <laughs> I couldn't mm -hmm. understand, like, why could that be an issue? So sometimes those rules, and I, I don't know if yes. the teacher knew exactly what to say to me either. So Yeah. And then I would, that's where the biomechanics gets those questions more specific. So you're saying why, and if you like, you know, if you have read my book, you would say, well, well, what tissue are you like? It's, it, it's safer for what, for the tendon, the ligament, the joint capsule, the bone, but, but bones, like they like load. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. why would this be bad? And like, what do you, is something going to tear or, you know, so now you start getting really specific in those questions. Um, and, and then the real conversations can be had. Yeah. So knowing that biomechanic knowledge is not necessarily for every yoga teacher, but if a yoga teacher is having interest in it and they know that their teachings could improve from it, where do they start? Like what are some basic concepts of biomechanics or tissue mechanics that we can apply to the movements we do in yoga? Um, I mean, they're, they're, basic exercise science principles that just kind of never made their way to you know, <laughs> at least my trainings that I took before, Yeah, you know, but basic things like progressive overload, mm -hmm. you know, that you, in order for a tissue to adapt, you need to expose it to greater loads. Like we know this inherently, like we know, we know if I want to build up my biceps, I have, I, I have to move past a five pound dumbbell. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? At some yeah. point, unless I'm doing 700 of them, you know, but like, but even then, you know, at some point I'm going to want to go heavier. And, and so we know, we know muscle adapts that way. Yeah. And we know bone adapts that way. You know, we've, I, I, in my early teaching years, I used to say things like weight bearing exercises, increase bone density. And I didn't know what that meant. Like I knew that like, mm -hmm. this was good for you, but I didn't know that, oh, the cells in the bone feel that force and then they get stimulated to make more bone. And like, you know, that's what biomechanics helps you with. Like the basics mm -hmm. that we already know, but haven't thought about. And so when you start thinking of progressive overload, I'm just giving that as an example, mm -hmm. it's like, now you start saying, Oh, I wonder if 15 years of plank pose is, <laughs> is progressive. And so it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with plank. It's just like you suddenly look at the poses. Like if I wanted to actually progress this, let's just say I did want to make it more challenging. How could I do that? Like, Oh, maybe I just do one arm plank, you know, mm -hmm. like, okay. So it, it, it helps you understand 
like what, what sparks adaptation. And when you have a room full of people that all have different loading histories, Mm -hmm. you can start to be sensitive to the fact that you can like offer realistic progressions and regressions and not just like, here's level one, here's level two, you know, Uh, which usually focuses on, on, on range of motion instead of load, you know, but you can actually like help people kind of build resilience um, through understanding that, you know, how progressive overload works. So Mm -hmm. again, like I said, it's stuff we kind of know, but, but when you get the concrete information, it just becomes more clear as a teacher. Yeah. That's why I'm asking, because I think if we, you know, even if we kind of know it, but if people listen and they're like, oh, I haven't thought about it this way, or I forgot about this and I haven't, you know, touched on that in a while, it's a good reminder just to go over these ideas. Yeah. So if we look at what sparks adaptation, what other than progressive overload can we consider and bring into our practices and sequencing? Um, For adaptation? Mm. I mean, that's all there is. Mm. Is load. So progressive overload just kind of is a is a basic exercise principle that is refers to magnitude. But um, but in reality, it's part of a bigger conversation, which is called optimal loading. Um, what would be optimal loading? Because you know, your tissues are either synthesizing or degrading. That's it. Like you're either building tissue or degrading tissue. You're not, you're we're not a, a you know, a book. We're living tissue and the cells are always active. And so Um, and so now you're like, okay, well there's, there's progressive overload, but that's part of a bigger narrative, optimal loading and optimal loading includes progressive overload, but it also includes, uh, variable loading. Mm. So like tendons, like certain tendons, the springy type tendons, like hard, hard and fast loading, right. They do really well with, you know, jumping type springy ballistic type stuff. Because just loading a tendon heavy is one thing, but there's other types of load. Bones, same thing. Bones, like they, long bones especially, you know, because they're long, they um, they receive uh, longitudinal loads very well and not so well at horizontal um, loads. But if you expose them to horizontal loads or or oblique loads, they'll build resilience in that direction. So there's different parameters of load, like how, you know, how fast, how slow. Um, how often, how frequent, like, are you holding something for a minute or five seconds? Like that. So that question that, that never sequenced three poses in a row, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm like, well, are you holding it for five minutes or are you holding it for, for five seconds? Because why can't, you know, those are, those are two different variables. It's not just the Absolutely. pose, like how long are you holding it? There's so many things to consider. Um, and so that's what the variable loading um, part includes and t- tissues like variable loading. Um, and then the last part of optimal loading is actually specificity. So like specific to the region, mm. you know, so like, for example, the great one for yoga is people come to yoga. They've sat at their desk for 30 years. <laughs> they've been told yoga is good for you. They go to a vinyasa class and half the class you're in planks and down dogs. And then three weeks later, they're like, my wrist hurts, you know? And it's like, have they been doing specific wrist loading to be able to endure all those down dogs? Yeah you know, probably not. And so now instead of just being like, oh, yoga hurts my wrists, I'm not going to go to yoga anymore. As a teacher, you can give them different options for in-class or you can give them homework to build up the wrists for that kind of demand or something. You know, you have, you can play around with it with purpose um, instead of, well, if your wrist hurts, you know, just 
go onto your elbows, <laughs> you know, yeah. which is the, the kind like of band-aid. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with those modifications, you know, if your wrist hurts, go onto your elbows, but it will never, it will never increase the capacity of your wrists to bear that load. So yeah. like another example is like when I was learning how to teach yoga, my first 200, it's like the idea is if you take your arms overhead, like warrior one, and you get like a pinchy or painful shoulder, um, that you would just like put your arms into like cactus or goalpost or whatever mm-hmm, you know, visual mm-hmm. you use. And that there's nothing wrong with that modification, nothing, but that modification won't actually help you get into flexion. Yeah. So if the person's goal is to get into flexion, now you have to start what, like talking about exposure, you know, exposure to those ranges and how does that look and um, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> yeah. So it will help you in the moment to get out of pain, but it won't help you to prevent yes. pain in the future. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So I like the idea of thinking of those different parameters because otherwise, if we just think of optimal load as a general thing, then how much do we know how much load we can sustain or students can sustain, right? Mm -hmm. But if we bring variety, if we bring specificity according to the goals of the practice we're having on that day, then we know that it's not going to be perfect for everyone, obviously, but we're going to touch the bases that we need to for average student. Yeah. Yes. And you can, you can structure your class in a way where, you know, people can make choices for themselves based on their own personal loading history and not what you think or assume or know. Yeah. And what they're feeling in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you just talked about goals there for a moment. And I think that's also an aspect that if we have that knowledge and we have specific goals in our practice, then it can help us go towards that goal more efficiently, let's say, because we know what we're trying to do with our body and our tissue in that way. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if we have a goal in mind and we, let's say, let's say we take an example of a teacher that's focusing on stretching with a goal of bigger range of motion, like increased flexibility. I think this is a very common thing in yoga, um, where that is the main thing they want to achieve. How do we choose the right type? Because just like different types of load, there's different types of stretching, right? So what if we look at this example of types of stretching, how do we choose the right type of stretching in comparison with someone who would not focus on pushing their end range of motion and use yoga for other goals that they would have? Um, well, the range of motion conversation kind of is a sharp departure from tissue mechanics. <laughs> um, okay. So because they're not really related, like your range of motion isn't, isn't really because of your, um, of, of the, the, like the adaptive process of the tissues. I mean, maybe a little bit to some degree, but not, not for the most part. So when you're like just doing stretching and pushing end range, you're basically just doing low load loading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you're, you know, actively contracting muscles or, you know, doing what, what's like so popular now, like active range of motion type stuff, you know, mm-hmm. or if you're like, you know, in a gym or doing your body weight, single leg body weight squats and stuff, you're stretching, you're just stretching higher load. Um, and then there are other types of stretching like PNF where you're really talking to the nervous system. Um, there's, you know, ballistic stretching where you might be talking to either muscle spindles or using connective tissue elasticity 
Um, and th those may improve range of motion for different reasons. Um, passive stretching, I mean, it works. It, it, there's a reason why it's so popular. It does improve range of motion. Sometimes it just takes a long time. Mm. So I think sometimes you have to, um, if, you, if you really want to kind of distinguish which of the like five, four or five or six, depending on the authority, stretching techniques that you want to apply in order to get that range of motion, uh, you you kind of have to look at the individual and and what might be the barrier, um, and sometimes passive stretching is fine and it works and it gets you there. That's it's not bad, you know. It's mm -hmm. just slow <laughs> and light, <laughs> um, but you know there might be there might be some. There's definitely some um, some neural uh, responses, um, and then you know there might be some some tissue response adaptation, I think at a, at a different level than, um, than maybe like the tissue mechanics conversation of like stiffness and, um, and elasticity, that kind of stuff. But at the cellular level and at the kind of biochemical level, there, there could be some, some benefit. There's some interesting research coming out about that, but that'll derail the, this conversation. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, that's just a big question that is like, you know, it took me 200 pages in a book to answer. So I, <laughs> I just threw out a few tidbits. <laughs> sure. Sure. I didn't mean to go off track so much. I just, no, it's fine. I was it's thinking fine. load and then I was thinking a goal. And then it's the first example that came to my mind, but so yeah, well, that's a, that in and of itself is a huge lesson to the listeners because I think, um, like range of motion, I think just, I think people, could benefit from sitting back and thinking about range of motion and tissue mechanics and where there is an overlap, if there is one. I mean, like in chapter two, so chapter one of my book introduces biomechanics and then chapter two, I talk about stretching. And then near the end of chapter two, I'm like, and that's why we're not going to talk about range of motion anymore. Cause mm -hmm. it's a whole different conversation, even though there is a little overlap. So I, I mean, I, I also teach a webinar called the science of stretching. Like they're like, I know that it's stretching and range of motion is important to yoga teachers. Yeah. So it's, it's a good lesson to, I think people think they're more related than they are. And so it's a good lesson to start to unpack that and maybe distinguish between them. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to know that those are two big subjects that they can dive in mm -hmm. if they feel called on one side more than the other. Mm -hmm. Yep. For sure. <laughs> So if we come back to the idea of cueing uh, and not just repeating like a parrot, the cues that we have learned in teacher training without knowing why we say to do these things, how can we start to adapt and look into what we're saying? Like, where do we start? Where do you start? Like if we're a teacher and we're accustomed to saying, you know, Place your knee over your heel yeah, or okay. open a line, like you were saying in the beginning, yep. a line heel to arch. Like yeah. those are part of our everyday conversation we have out loud. Where do we start? What are the questions we start to ask ourselves? How do we make those cues better over time? Um, I don't know that they need to be better. Um, I would just ask yours, like, ask, why are you saying it? You know, like, does it need to be said? And do you know why you're saying it? Is there a reason for it? Um, you know, it's things like, like you go, I'll go to a class and we'll do downward dog and they'll say, you know, hands, shoulder distance apart, feet, hip distance apart, you know, uh, 
whatever hands, you know, wrists in line with each other, like all these different, you know, whatever, all these things. And, and so if you're going to say all that, then, um, is there a reason for it other than what, that this is how the pose looks, Mm. you know what I mean? Like, is there like, like I've got a little scoliosis. So I like to have one hand a little further in front of the other hand and downward dog, you know, that, that, that is good for me. Um, so there's a reason for that. So maybe when I teach a class and I don't say wrists in line with each other, I say, find a comfortable hand position where you can push into the ground or something. You know what I mean? Like, like that's the, it's not that the, there's nothing inherently bad about the cues that we say. It's just, there's so much, they're so often driven by what the pose should look like instead of what, um, what we're, what we're trying to achieve. Like, why, why are you teaching downward pose? dog? Why are you teaching downward dog? Have you even thought about that? Yeah. So that would be a great question to start <laughs> you know with. I mean? like, like, why are you choosing the, this pose? You know, now? like, yeah. Why are you choosing this pose? What are you trying to do? And what's the pose that comes after it? And how is it related to downward dog? What is your intention? Like, are you trying to build upper body strength? Are mm-hmm. you trying to develop, you know, external rotation of the glenohumeral joint? Are you trying to create, you know, develop scapulothoracic rotations and movement? Like what, like, are, are you trying to develop dorsiflexion? Like what are you doing in downward dog that day? And if you're trying to work on dorsiflexion, then why are you even cueing the hands? Does that, is that even a relevant thing? And what are you what action are you going to talk about in the feet? You know, um, that's the type of like, like what, like that's the type of inquiry. That's where I'd begin. Yeah. You know, instead of, Oh, I'm teaching downward dog just cause that's how I start class. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, Nothing wrong with that. But if you want to question your cues, you got to back way up and say, why did I put downward dog right here? <laughs> and if your answer is just as a transition between lunges, great. Awesome. But then again, do your instructions and the, what you choose to say about the pose yeah. support that? Because if it's just a transition, that. what do you care? What do you care what it looks like? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you can learn to let go of the fluff of the yeah. things you say that maybe are just to fill up the space and be more um, efficient with your cueing if you know what you're trying to achieve with every pose within the scheme or within the the whole practice and then maybe your whole week or month or however long you kind of plan around. Yeah. Mm. And you can just say less. Most people, exactly. most people know downward dog. Most people don't need to be told, you know, unless you've never been to yoga in which, which is funny because so most people know what downward dog looks like, right? <laughs> yeah. Except for really new people who've been, who've never been to yoga, but the new people won't even understand the cues anyway because they're so confused and looking around the room and trying not to look dumb. And like, you know what I mean? And you're talking about the hands and the external rotation of the shoulders, and they don't even know what that means. And they haven't figured out where their feet are. And like, you know, so it's funny. Cause like, who are the, who are some of those actual cues for when you just start rattling them off in a pose? Um, most people have heard them already if they've been to 20 yoga classes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you're giving 10 cues in a row and they can't keep up. <laughs> no, they can't keep up. Yeah. I learned that long time ago when I first started dating my ex and I would take him to yoga classes in LA and he was so frustrated because we'd go to all these like, you know, big name teachers. And he was so frustrated because he was like, I don't, he's like, 
I can't follow, like, you know, he's not embodied. And he was like, I can't follow this. I don't, I don't even know what they're talking about. So he just looks around the room. Mm. (laughs) It was just doing what I was doing, (laughs) you know, it's pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, you talked in the beginning about yoga not being as injurious as we make it to be sometimes. So if we don't look at it as a way, like that knowledge of uh, tissue mechanic as a way to stay safer and we just bring the idea of how can we bring healthy or make sure we stay within like a healthy movement um, kind of building practices. How would you describe what is healthy movement, considering that we have classes of all level people and we're trying to do something that fits most? I mean, I guess it's how, how do you define healthy movement, you know? So how do you define healthy movement? Um, you know, any way you want to move. (laughs) I mean, I just like, you know, there's not, there, there's just not a lot that we do in yoga that is, you know, inherently dangerous. I mean, obviously, yeah. If you've got like certain, if you have a broken bone, obviously, if you have Mm -hmm. levels of, you know, uh, progressive levels of osteoarthritis, things will be Things will, might be more um, sensitive, but, you know, is Warrior Two going to degrade your cartilage more? Like, we actually don't really think that, that osteoarthritis is as, as mechanical in nature as we used to think. And we now understand it has a lot to do with the neuroimmune system and lifestyle factors and genetics. And so is like, it, it, is that what caused it? You know, so, so yeah. there's a difference between between reducing sensitivity and having someone not hurt. And there's a difference between like actually doing damage. Those are two different things. Yeah. So first, again, something you learn in my book is recognizing that tissue damage and pain don't correlate well. Mm-hmm. So you can have someone that has like healthy tissue and has pain. We call that nonspecific low back pain. And 80% of the people, people in the West have had it at some point in their life. Yeah. You know, so like, like, how do you explain that? And then you can have people like me with a torn rotator cuff who have zero pain, zero limitations. So so if you look at the tissue only and say, oh, well, you have a torn rotator cuff, you shouldn't do handstands. Well, I do them all the time, <laughs> you know, like, and I, I have no problems with them. So you have to really kind of unpack all of that. And so healthy movement is not, it's not for me to decide who in my class, what's healthy for them. Like, how do I know? I haven't lived in their body. I don't know mm. what sensitivities they have. So mm-hmm. I give that autonomy over to them. You know, the 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 risks, the risks of body weight exercises or body weight activities are pretty low. You know, I mean, how many body weight squats can you do? You know, you're you're gonna get tired and out of breath before I'm, I'm gonna get bored. You're before. Gonna, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna and you're gonna be out of breath before you're gonna blow out your knee. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, totally. Like, like so same thing, like you're, you're, but if I put a hundred pounds on your, on a, on a, you know, on a barbell on your um, back, uh, no, 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 there might be like, you might, <laughs> I might care beast. a little bit more about your knee. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I might pay more attention to it. So, but so what, which one are we doing in yoga? You know? So that's like, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, of course you can like, kick, do, try and do a forearm stand and kick over, try kick over and slip. And, but again, that's not like, like the yoga pose, that's an accident, you know? Um, and so an example that I'll give is like, if you just stand up in Tadasana and you 
turn your foot around so that your knee twists to the side, like you're fine. You know what I mean? Like, like it's it just like, it, it's your knee can handle that. You're mm. just standing there. But if that, if you twisted your foot and your knee like that, while you were skiing, like going down a hill really fast, that's a different story like yeah. that, that it's going to, you're going to get a different response than if you just do it standing here or, you know, sitting and looking, you know? So, um, so that's where like tissue mechanics comes in handy is like, if you understand these, that's called viscoelasticity. That's a, or that's a function of viscoelasticity. That what I just example I gave was called strain rate sensitivity. So like your tissues are sensitive to how quickly you move. But I mean, how, how quickly do you move on a yoga mat? Even if you're like flowing fast, you're not yeah. moving quickly, like at velocities of skiing or water skiing or, you know, cycling, you know I'm what sure. I'm saying? Like, yeah, so yeah. I, that's what I think really helps you when you learn about tissue mechanics is like, where in the spectrum of things does yoga fit? And all of a sudden we stop blaming yoga for some things. And we also recognize that yoga can't be everything. Yeah. If I really want to build my glutes, why am I going to yoga? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that, like that doesn't make sense. Yeah. I like, think we put a lot on the shoulders of yoga. Like it has in to be. both directions, like in, in, as far as yoga can do all this stuff. And then also yoga injures you like at the same time, you know what I mean? In both directions. And I think yoga is just a, it's a pretty benign activity, like slow to moderate walking, you know, there are exceptions, you know, you can build upper body strength in yoga for sure. You know, because most people don't spend time in planks and push-ups and chaturangas. So you can build upper body. I'm, I'm not denying that. It's harder to build lower body strength because we spend most of our time walking around on two legs. Do you know what? So now maybe you need to do single leg, you know, activities or something to, to challenge. But for the most part, it's pretty benign. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I just feel like we hear so much about common injuries, you know, like hamstring, rotator cuff, SI, like there's, there's a lot of talk around these types of injuries yeah. and how common they are in yoga. But as you say, we, it's not because there's pain that it's coming directly from, you know, tissue that's damaged. It's not because like, we don't necessarily know how it happened. And there's also the repetition of what we do. And if we're doing it, kind of. Yeah. Maybe it's not novel anymore. And, it's not progressive yeah. anymore. Maybe yeah. we need to do something heavier. You know, I know a lot of people who actually feel better in their bodies when they start adding things like running or weightlifting to their yoga practice. Yeah. Not in the beginning, in the beginning, yoga like saves everybody, you know, and then four <laughs> five, six years down the road of a dedicated yeah. practice. It's just not novel anymore. That there's nothing that doesn't make anything wrong with yoga. That yeah. It's, it, it's telling me that your choices, <laughs> that's like, you know, it's like saying, I'm going to walk, I'm going to start walking and I'm going to walk 20 minutes a day. And then I'm just going to keep walking 20 minutes a day for the rest of my life. And you're like, I'm not getting more fit. <laughs> and it's like, well, <laughs> you haven't like changed it up. You know, you haven't, yeah. you haven't added anything or done something different. Like, of course, you know, yeah. I mean, that was my case. Like I, f I felt like all my joint were hurting and then I started to lift weight and that went, that went away. I continued but yoga. Not, I just added, yeah, yeah, I just yeah, added exactly. weight training because all I yeah. was doing was stretching and I was pushing into my joints and of course yeah. they're going to start to hurt, you know, yeah. but that's the way I was practicing. It was yeah. not. A yeah. lot of people have that experience, but yeah. that doesn't, and then they blame yoga, you know, and it's like, well, yoga is yoga. Like, you know, I, I say this all the time. I was on a podcast once and the first question was what's missing from yoga. And I was like, nothing's missing from yoga. You know, like 
what's missing is what the choices you make for yourself, but not, yoga is yoga. Like that's like saying what's missing from running. Well, it's, it's just running. <laughs> if you're, if, if you're saying that upper body strength training is missing from running, then you probably shouldn't have chosen running. Like then you, you know what I mean? Like, like, of course it, of course it's not a part of running. It's just, yeah. that's what running is. Like you're, you're asking to get develop pull-up skills from running. That doesn't make any sense. So it's the same thing. Like, you know, you're asking to, you know, develop tissue stiffness and joint capsule stiffness through yoga. It's probably not the rest, the, the best technique for that. That doesn't mean anything's wrong with yoga. But just like you want to bring variety in your load and in your movement, probably in your practices as well and your other types of movement. So it's more complete for your body if you want something that's yeah, more complete and, for I mean, your body. And at the same time, plenty of people do yoga for 40 years and that's all they do. And they live happy, healthy lives. Mm-hmm. So but again, like that's why it's like, it's not that cut and dry. It really is individual and about what you want, what you feel, what you need. And as teachers, that's our job not to tell them what's safe and what a healthy movement is. I even have like an image quote. I think I just posted the other day that said like, since when is it a yoga teacher's job to tell someone how to move properly? Like, no, it's our, it's our job to show them movement options and let them choose the one that works for whatever reasons they have. And, Mm. you know, like you can't, you can't see if someone's in pain. So like, you know, everyone has that pose where they hate it and they just wait for it to be over. Like for my sister, it's triangle. Like, her triangle is so like unattractive visually, like so unpleasing visually that the teachers don't even come over to her and adjust her. And she does that on purpose because it hurts her, her like inner thigh. And so if she even tries to make the pose look somewhat good, they come over and like try to make it, make it better in her. They don't know it hurts her. It's yeah. a yoga class and she doesn't get to talk, you know, like they, the teacher's doing all the talking. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. she just, she just destroys the pose so that it, so everyone is like, what is they she quit doing? On her. the teacher is like, yeah, the teacher is like, whatever like, you do you. And that's her strategy because otherwise she'd have to say out loud, but that hurts to the teacher. Like, it's just a weird, like, you just don't know. Somebody yeah. might have their, you know, might have their knee in a pointing a certain direction because it actually takes pressure off the medial knee. And so they have the knee out to the side. And as the teacher, you're like, oh, that's dangerous. How do you know? (laughs) Like maybe it's actually better for that person. Yeah. I think that's such a good reminder and it takes pressure off trying to figure out what everything and everybody needs at every moment of the class. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's your job to just be, hold the space and give people um, options and teach them how to make decisions for themselves. Like teach you, by teaching yoga, you teach how like, well, these are some considerations and you don't, you can't teach them everything in one class. So <laughs> it's a lifetime practice, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Great. Anything else you want to add before we finish today? If there's like one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave with, what would um, that be? Read my book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> really? Great um, one. Uh, yeah. It, there's a lot of good insight in it. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And guys, if you go on social media, you'll have a lot of little pieces to start to dip your toe and get. Yeah. 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 You have a lot of great content out there that's available. So that's awesome. I'll put all your info in the show notes for people to find you. But what's the best place for them to go if they want to learn from my website, Website. my website, which is my name, Jules Mitchell. Yeah. It's a robust site that has Mm -hmm. everything you'll ever need. So 
tons of content and tons of offerings. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you listen. Come and connect with us on IG at On and Off Your Mat Podcast. Screenshot you listening to an episode with your takeaways. Visit withribbon.com slash you slash Erica Belanger to become a premium member and get your hands on all our exclusive content. You can also check out the show notes to find more about our guest of today, Jules Mitchell, or my top five biggest takeaways from this episode. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible, and that includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you guys for listening. Until next time.